My name is Nikki. My name is Charlie. And you're listening to Bed, Bed Crime, Crime Stories, a weekly true crime podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night. Nikki, why don't you kick us off this evening with our true crime headlines? Yes. Yeah? The, yeah. We're keeping that? Okay. I like that. Okay. Okay. So this week, my first true crime headline is um, from the Daily Dot. And it is from January 26th, and it is a man allegedly killed while confronting teen daughter's cyberbully. Interesting. Yeah. So a Texas man was fatally shot during what uh, family members say was an attempt by him to confront his teen daughter's cyberbullying, or cyberbully. So, and it was a boy that was bullying a girl. I... Wow. I don't know. Kids are That's mean. <laughs> Kids are hella mean. I'm so glad. Like, I say this all the time. I'm so glad that, like, social media was just starting when I was in, like, high school. Yeah. We didn't even have social media in high school. I think my first, like, AOL screen name was when I was 16. So it was, like, sophomore year, junior year, junior year. So, and we had, like, AOL chat rooms. But I don't know. It wasn't, like, a thing then to do that. Like, it didn't. That really didn't exist yeah. in the year tw- 2000. Like, <laughs> MySpace was a thing when I was in high school. Yeah. Like, I think it was, like, a we didn't freshman. Have, we didn't have MySpace when I was yeah. in high school. But I'm, like, I'm glad that I didn't go through that because high school was already really tough. And then to have, like, cyberbullying. Yeah, on top of it. Is even worse. Yeah, for sure. So, um... So, unfortunately, uh, it says the 20-year-old man said Curtis hurt the boy who is his brother and then acted in self-defense. So. Dang. Yeah. So, that was my first true crime headline. And my second one really freaked me out because this week I was, like, thinking about how I wanted to start doing Uber Eats in my free time because I'm tired of being home and I just think that it'll get me out and, like, pay off my credit card or whatever and make extra Mm -hmm. money. So when I saw this one, I was like, <gasps> so the New York Post, it was posted January 26th. It says Texas mother of three murdered while delivering Uber Eats. Yeah, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. So it, no. uh, it very sad. It doesn't, um, it doesn't say much because her body was just found. Oh and my God. There was nobody around. My God. So it says her killer remained on the loose. So. That's awful. It's scary and sad because, you know, she has yeah. three children. Yeah. And she was probably just trying to make extra money to mm-hmm. do extra things. Yeah, so exactly. It's sad. But those are my true crime headlines. Dang. Very good. I don't know why I always go to social media or, like, apps or things like that. I think it just really intrigues me. Because you are a very millennial millennial. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the typical millennial. You are but... ultra millennial. I, yeah. um, I am a... We're like cuspers of millennials, Jovi and myself. We're like right on the edge between millennial and Gen X. Living so on we're, the edge. We're on like that upper age of millennials. I actually like, it's weird. I feel like we're like in a weird in between. Cause I don't really relate to Gen Z or Gen X people, but I also don't feel like I totally relate to millennials either. Mm-hmm. We're, we're a zennial. Um, so I... With my part-time job, I work with a lot of younger people. Mm-hmm. So my boyfriend always says that they keep me young. Mm. And I'm like, I'm like Rapunzel's mother. I suck the youth from them. <laughs> so, like, I know a lot of, like, the 
the hip things that the Gen Z do. Mm. But sometimes I'm like, that don't make sense. Yeah. The Gen Z be doing the Gen Z things. The Gen Z thing. I'm like, oh. Yeah. That's not my... Like, my coworker the other day goes, she's like, I wasn't even born yet when uh, 9-11 happened. And I was like... Oh, God. I know. And that's, like, such a definitive moment in my life as far as, like, before that moment and after that moment could be split into two very distinct columns in my brain. Yeah. Um, And I think for most people. But, like, that's just... That's insane to me. Yeah. Like, when she said this to me, I was like... Yeah. Baby. Yeah. I like when I'm talking to people that I meet at work or meet through, you know, other people and I'm saying something about, like, when I graduated high school. I wasn't even born yet. I'm like, okay. This conversation's over. <laughs> it's nice talking to you. <laughs> Bye-bye. I mean, yes. That's how I am in my department at work, at my yeah. full-time job, my mm-hmm. big girl job. Mm-hmm. I'm the baby. You are the baby. <sighs> All right. So let's go ahead and get started on our bed crime story, shall we? Tell me about it. All right. So this week I am going to be doing... Um, one that I actually know a little, I knew a little bit about prior, mm-hmm. um, but found a lot of very interesting details as I've been, as I was able to do my research. And this is one that I do think that mostly a lot of people probably know about this. It did make national headlines, um, but you might not know it by his name. You might not really know it until we get into the story. And this is the murder of Abraham Shakespeare. So I promise, I think that you'll know it. I probably will. I, 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 whenever I listen back to our episodes, I'm always like, I don't know this. And then halfway through, I'm like, I know this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I just kind of was like, "Mm." yeah, I, I have a strange feeling that you probably will know this one. It's, it's pretty popular. Um, so my main sources, well, I I had four sources. The first three are just kind of like quick little tidbits of information, um, which was from Wikipedia, TampaBay.com, and the Charlie Project. Um, But my main resource was Murderpedia. And through Murderpedia, um, I actually read the full criminal report affidavit from the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office and the detective that um, investigated this crime and the attached probable cause statement for the arrest of the... Uh, defendant. So, uh, got a lot of very, very detailed information from that affidavit. So, um, we shall begin. Abraham Shakespeare was born on April 24th, 1966 in Lakeland, Florida. There's not a lot of detail written about his early life prior to the events that would lead to his eventual murder. Um, but the information and the information that is out there about him speaks about him in a lot of negative ways. They talk a lot about his lack of education. They talk a lot about his um, small criminal history um, and things like that. But I want to talk about Abraham Shakespeare, the victim, um, who was a father. He was a laborer. He worked as a garbage man, unloading trucks, washing dishes. Um, So this is who he was. This is who we are meeting when the time of our story takes place. He was a simple man from humble beginnings. And in November 2006, Abraham was assigned to assist in the overnight delivery route to Miami with a truck driver named Michael Ford. So they made a few stops on the route and wound up at a mini mart in Frostproof, Florida. Michael gets out of the truck. He's going to go into the mini mart, grab some snacks, whatever for the road. And he asked Abraham if he wanted anything from the store. Abraham asked him to pick up a pair of quick pick lotto tickets and he paid Michael for the tickets and then returned to the truck. 
One of those quick pick lotto tickets was about to change Abraham's life completely. Um, so he won the lottery jackpot of $31 million on his one quick pick ticket. Um, he did decide to take it all in one lump payment of $16.9 million, which after taxes, Jeez. yeah, which after taxes left him um, a take home total of just over $11 million. Just give me a million, please. <sighs> for real. I could do so, I could just do so much with 250000 Seriously. That, that's a life changing amount for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, Abraham was thrilled. He was like, this is a dream come true. I'm rich. I can take care of things, you know, all of that stuff. Right. So first the government comes in and takes some back child support payments that Abraham owed. Uh, it was mm-hmm. approximately $9,000 worth of back child support that he, um, he had owed to the state. He later put $1 million in a trust fund for his son. Aww. He gave his stepfather $1 million. He gave his three stepsisters $250,000 each. He paid off a mortgage for a friend. He paid off a mortgage for a man whose last name he didn't even know. And he paid off a mortgage for a man from the neighborhood that he just happened to know casually throughout the years. Um, He bought for $125,000 a house near Lake Wales that he only saw once. And then he rented it to some tenants that he only met once. He gave his brother's son's best friend money. He gave his mother and his sister money. He would write cashier's checks to his friends. He paid for funerals. So, like, this is what he was doing with his money. Like, he wasn't even using it for himself. He was taking right. care of I mean, people. eventually he wound up buying himself some stuff. Um, he bought himself a F-150 pickup truck, a BMW, neither of which were seemed to be... Well, no, they both were brand new. 2006 F-150, a 2007 BMW, and a house. Um, according to the Polk County Sheriff, it was well known around town that people were starting to kind of swarm in the waters around Abraham and his money because they knew he was being quite generous with the money that he had won. So the house that he purchased was out in Lakeland, kind of on the outskirts of town, north of town, uh, out past some orange trees. There was a ho- horse farm out there called Heaven Sent Acres. It's actually very beautiful out there. Yeah. Um, it was about 10 miles from his old neighborhood. It was located in a gated community. The house was 6,519 square feet. Mm-hmm. It had an enclosed pool, two car, gar- two, two car garages. Um, the property was fenced in and it came with surveillance cameras. He bought it in January of 2007, so a couple months after winning the lottery for not quite $1.1 million. Yeah, but think about the taxes on that house. (sighs) My God, I can't even imagine. Um, Not long after he bought the house, about three months later or so, Abraham was sued by Michael Ford, the man that he was driving with Mm -hmm. um, that night that he bought the tickets. Because he bought the tickets. Right. So then he feels like he is... Entitled. Yes. He said that the ticket was his and that the remaining money, whatever Abraham had left over, should belong to him as well. Um, Michael's lawyers attacked Abraham's character. They dredged up his arrest record, claimed that Abraham was an angry person and that he was spending his money frivolously. Um, Abraham denied all claims. Uh, Michael also accused that Abraham stole the ticket out of his wallet. Um, he was like, none of that's true. I didn't steal the ticket. Basically, I gave him the last f- two $5 bills in my wallet to pay for the tickets. Yeah. They were my tickets. I asked him to get them. Um, he detailed some of the gifts that he had given, stating that in the Bible, it says that it's better to give than to receive. 
Um, at the trial, Abraham actually showed up to court with a garbage bag filled with lotto tickets that he purchased over the years. Basically proof of like, yeah, this is I what do this I do. all the time. I yeah. pay the, I play the lottery. I won, you know, type of a thing. I never won anything. <laughs> no. No, neither do I. Um, So the jury sided with Abraham, but the case was dragged into appeal after appeal after appeal. Abraham's appellate lawyer states that the first time he met with Abraham, he had upwards of like 10 people in the room with him, none of which the lawyer had any idea why they were there. He's like, it could have been a friend, could have been an advisor. Who knows? There were just these random people there with him. He said that by the time Abraham had gotten to him, he seemed that he had grown weary of his new life as a lotto winner and wondered if Abraham would have rather have returned to his life he had before winning. That's what they say about like a lot of people that win the lottery Mm -hmm. that they like, they're like, I wish I never won. Yeah. Cause like they just don't know how. Because it changes their their life so much. Yeah. And honestly, even more so than it changing your life so much, because it could, it could do great things for you. Yeah. But it's how much the people around you change because oh, yeah. you have won the money. Yeah. Like, I was talking to someone today about it, about how, like, when someone passes away, mm-hmm. that people just start acting crazy. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, right. there's that will that's sitting there. Put beneficiaries on your checking and savings accounts, friends. On Put everything. Put beneficiary on every single thing that you have. If it can have a beneficiary, do it. Do it. Please do it. You can't leave it to your dog. You can't. Beneficiary, do Wish it. I I'll be like the woman <sighs> from 100 and what? No, that's the Aristocats. <laughs> I was thinking the 101 Dalmatians. That's a different, different story. Very different story. Um, yeah, that's one of my biggest things when, yeah. Oh, drives me crazy. Put a beneficiary mm-hmm. on. It's the, one of the best things that you can do for your family. It takes two seconds. Well, it's like when my grandma passed away. Someone was like, oh, she wanted to be buried. And then my other, like, family member was like, no, she wanted to be cremated. Mm -mm. So there was that whole thing. Mm -hmm. So they cremated her and then buried her. Right. So then it was like both. There you go. Compromise. Yes. Yeah, no, I've I've already started to write down my death plan because I think it's incredibly important to have a death plan and have it written down because I don't want other people making decisions for my afterlife. No, thank you. Mm -mm. Um... I wouldn't accept it in my living life. I'm not accepting it when I'm dead. So the final appeal in the case brought against Abraham for the supposed stolen lotto ticket was set for May 27th, 2009. Abraham did not show up to court that day. Turns out Abraham's family and friends hadn't seen him since April of 2009. All right, so let's rewind a little bit to November 2008. So we're going back in time about six months now. So we're rewinding to November 2008, about a two years after he won the lotto, six months before he went missing. Yeah. Um, we're at a small business conference in Kissimmee. So it was there that Doris, she goes by Dee Dee, so I'm going to call her Dee Dee for the rest of the story. Dee Dee Moore met Barbara Jackson. Barbara Jackson was the realtor that sold Abraham the house in 2007 when he won the lotto. Mm-hmm. Barbara told Dee Dee that Abraham helped to change her views about money, that how winning the money was nothing was not anything about money. It was all about helping people. And Dee Dee told Barbara that she was so moved by their story that, and she was a writer and she was interested in writing a story and possibly even a book about Abraham and Barbara. So Barbara sets up a meeting two weeks later for them to start conversations about the supposed book that Mm -hmm. Dee Dee wanted to write about them. So within four months of meeting Abraham, 
Didi Moore had secured control over approximately $3.5 million worth of assets, including cash, real estate, and monies owed to Abraham. In December 2008, Abraham had liquidated an additional $250,000 worth of annuities, and the following month, January 2009, those funds were transferred to a business account in the name of American Medical Professionals, which was a business that Didi owned since 2004. So within a year of them meeting, all of his money was under Didi's name. All of his money, all of his assets, his house, his car. Yeah. No. Also in January of 2009, Abraham signed a quick claim deed to American Medical Professionals on the primary residence, the $1.1 million home he purchased. The other mortgages that were in his name, so the homes that he paid off for all those people... Oh, they were in his name? Yes, because he paid off the mortgage and basically took control of the deed of the homes. And then it all went to this Didi woman. Oh, shit. And that rental home that he purchased right after winning the money as well. I didn't realize that him paying off other people's mortgages didn't go into their name. It went into his name. I think there was probably some additional arrangement made. I'm assuming it was probably one of those things of, I'll pay off the mortgage, put it in my house, and then you have to pay me rent for, you know... Taxes, utilities, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Jesus. But yeah. I mean, that's a smart man, but then what the hell happened there? Yeah. So all of this, these properties were transferred to American medical professionals. Didi also registered an LLC with the state of Florida, Abraham Shakespeare LLC, and opened a bank account in the LLC's name, but she was the only signatory on the business account. Additional funds originating from accounts owned by Abraham Shakespeare were transferred via cashier's check to additional business accounts that were owned by Dee Dee Moore's boyfriend. A new property titled under Dee Dee's boyfriend's name was purchased with funds withdrawn from an account from American Medical Professionals, LLC, which of course was funded by money that originated from Abraham. Mm -mm. In addition to this real estate property... All of Abraham's vehicles were also transferred into Dee Dee and her boyfriend's name. And then she traded in those two cars to buy herself a Corvette and her boyfriend a Hummer. I hate people. Yeah. So the last time anyone saw Abraham alive, like I said, was April of 2009. But he was not actually reported missing until November of later that year. Earlier within the search for the trace for Abraham, Dee Dee was identified as a close associate of Abraham's and was interviewed by detectives. She claims that he went missing of his own free will in order to get away from all the people trying to get money from him. I mean, I can see that. Sure. (laughs) But. Yeah. So she says that she's been in contact with Abraham via telephone. During the month of December 2009, so again, it was a month after he was reported missing. Okay? Yeah. So he's been he's been out of sight from anybody since that previous April. Mm-hmm. So during the month of December 2009, an informant for the Polk County Sheriff's detectives was seen talking with Dee Dee. So this is a guy that Polk County had used multiple times as an informant. And they see him and he's talking with Dee Dee. So they wind up questioning the informant and they're like... You know, what does what does she have to say? We're just curious, you know? So the informant winds up telling detectives that she had coerced him to make various phone calls over the summer months, including one to the sheriff's department claiming to have seen Abraham to keep people off the scent of his disappearance. 
She even convinced the informant to make a phone call to Abraham's own mother claiming to be Abraham himself. Dee Dee paid this person several hundred dollars to do all of this for her. Don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Please don't do that for other people. Seriously. At this point, well, and I think innocently, this guy was probably like, I'm helping him to stay hidden so people don't keep leeching off of him. So he probably thought he was doing it, honestly, with the best of intentions, but she's doing it to Mm -hmm. cover everybody's tracks. At this point, the sheriff's office started working with the informant to start recording meetings between him and Dee Dee. She was still soliciting services from the informant to throw people off the investigation. The informant was sent on an errand for Dee Dee to deliver a letter to the home of Abraham's mother. Dee Dee wound up actually writing this letter, posed as Abraham, and even brought up that phone call that was made over the summer and was like, how, how could you not have recognized my voice? I'm your own son. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. The informant helped arrange a meeting between Dee Dee and an undercover detective under the guise that the undercover detective was a suspect already facing a lengthy prison sentence, and he would be willing to say that he had killed Abraham for a sum of $50,000. On January 10th, 2010, Dee Dee met with the undercover detective and stated that she would pay the man $50,000 to tell detectives that he killed Abraham. Okay. So the undercover detective says to her, all right, well, I'll do this, but I have to know where he actually is buried. So that way police can believe that my confession is real because they're going to want to see a body. Mm -hmm. So she said that she's going to provide that at a later time. So I think she started to panic at this point. So their their meeting concludes. The undercover detective is driving her back to her car. And then she's like, all right, not only am I going to tell you where the body is, but I can also give you the firearm that was used to kill Abraham. It was then devised that Dee Dee, the informant, and an undercover detective would dig up Abraham's body and move it so he could notify police of its location and that she would also turn over the murder weapon so he could provide the evidence to law enforcement as well. What the hell? Yeah. So, on January 25th, Dee Dee produces a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson... Little boop boop. Dee Dee produced a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver and led the informant to a 30 by 30 concrete slab in the back of a residence that was owned by her boyfriend. It had been poured on April 13th, 2009. She told the informant that Abraham's body was buried approximately six feet below that very concrete slab. She said that he had been shot and killed at the property next door, which was being used as her office. A search warrant was issued the very next day. Well, she was being interviewed by detectives. Dee Dee gave a couple of different stories as to why Abraham was killed. So first she did the typical thing that people tend to do and say that random drug dealers were involved, right? So drug dealers showed up at the property with Abraham. They wind up killing him when he could, when he couldn't provide the money that he owed the drug dealers. And then miraculously she remembered that one of the men that was with Abraham was named Ronald. And when detectives reminded her, hey, don't forget, we have you on tape telling the informant that Ronald was a name that you made up. Uh, Try again. (laughs) Basically, she panicked and started putting blame elsewhere. 
At one point, she actually even tried to blame her own 14-year-old son, saying that he shot Abraham in the backyard of her boyfriend's house. Finally, towards the end of the interview, she asked detectives if she could get to keep all of her stuff if she admitted to knowing who actually killed Abraham. I know. I know. I hate her. On, <laughs> I know. On January 28th, 2010, the remains of Abraham Shakespeare were discovered under that concrete slab behind Dee Dee's boyfriend's house. Two 38 caliber bullets were found with his body. Abraham Shakespeare was, for all intents and purposes, functionally illiterate and obviously inexperienced with matters dealing with finance, um, let, let alone such a large sum of money that he, like he won in the lottery in 2006. Dee Dee claimed she only connected with Abraham to write a story about his life, but no evidence of her being trained or educated as a writer exists. She used her influence over him to, with his knowledge technically transfer all the money out of his name and into hers. And then when the money ran out, she didn't need him anymore. And she killed him. Abraham Shakespeare is last known to be alive on April 6th, 2009, less than three years after collecting his lotto winnings. Beginning on that date, his cell phone usage drastically changed. And um, that's also the date that Dee Dee began weaving elaborate and varying stories to explain his whereabouts. She would actually use his cell phone to send text messages to his friends, families, and loved ones that he was fine and not to come looking for him. At one point, Dee Dee even told several people, including her boyfriend, that Abraham was in Jamaica being treated for AIDS. There is no evidence to support that anyone other than Dee Dee was present for the murder of Abraham besides the victim himself. The cause of death for Abraham was a gunshot wound, was two gunshot wounds to the chest, which perforated his lungs. On December 10th, 2012, Dee Dee Moore was convicted of first degree murder for the killing of Abraham Shakespeare and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole with an additional minimum sentence of 25 years for possessing a gun in the course of a violent felony. The difficulties uh, Abraham experienced as a result of winning the lottery, including his murder, obviously, were the focus of the e-television program Curse of the Lottery and part of an episode of Lottery Changed My Life. (laughs) And that is the story of the tragic triumph of lottery winner Abraham Shakespeare. I was reading additional articles about the trial specifically and how she would have these like violently emotional outbursts during the trial. Um, and then when they actually read the verdict, she had absolutely no reaction whatsoever. And the judge is like, that is proof right there that you have zero remorse for what you did. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Good story. Thank you. Thank you. I love that story. My boyfriend and I were in the car we bought lotto tickets and, um, we were driving around afterwards and just kind of talking about like what we would do if we won the lottery, you know, like you do. And I started talking about Abraham Shakespeare and I was like, I'm going to do that on the podcast. <laughs> She's so, like, all right. So, anyway, yeah, so, you do that so, on so if you won the lottery, what would you do? Oh, easy. So I would first obviously pay off like all of my debts, like student loans, credit cards, blah, 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 blah. Um, I would, well, my boyfriend, I would split it 50, 50, a portion of my money would go to paying off the mortgages for my parents and for my sister's house. And like getting them comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
my boyfriend wants to do the same thing. He wants to pay off his parents' mortgage and get his brother kind of, like, comfortable in his own situation. Yeah. Um, my boyfriend wants to start businesses. That's not my jam. I want to uh, open a senior dog rescue. <gasps> So, yeah, I want to have, like, basically, like, puppy hospice. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't. Um, you're, you're such a good soul. Yeah. I just, I want to make sure that puppies have a place to be comfortable before they yeah. pass away. Puppy puppies. Awesome. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. And honestly, I would invest a whole hell of a lot of it. And, oh, we would obviously buy houses and yeah. whatever. Like, we want, I want to buy, like, multiple properties. Yeah. And I want to buy an RV and travel the country. <sighs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I would just invest a lot and live off of my interest and my well, yeah. dividends and shit. Yeah. What make about your, you? Make your boyfriend work. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, he's going to be open <laughs> to the businesses. You do the businesses, bro. I was going to say, yeah, he's going to open the business. That'll pay for the gas in my RV. Yeah. Uh, I would totally probably pay off my house, mm-hmm. pay off my car. That's really, like, the only debt that I have. And then probably, like, I've, I've been wanting to add a rental property on the back of my house. Mm-hmm. That's really it. Mm-hmm. Do the little Airbnb situation back there? Yeah, like Airbnb, but then mm-hmm. also have like a rental one, like mm-hmm. a, a monthly, because Airbnbs can get messy. Yeah. Like I've, I've looked into like the differences between mm-hmm. them, but I've also dealt with roommates too. So. Yeah. Jovi, what would you do if you won the lottery? Um, well, basically what everybody else would do is pay off all my debt. And make sure that my family's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to buy an island. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, me and my fiance talked about it extensively, where we would buy an island, put a mansion on that island, and have, like, little little houses Ooh. and have fly my friends in. Yeah. And that way it's like a vacation. And you can still hang out with us, but you have the privacy of private. your own yeah. house. Mm-hmm. And like I said to him, I go, we have like three friends. So basically our friends would have their own house on our island. Yeah. So it's like, okay. Um, but yeah, we obviously would have to get a plane then because then we'd be able to fly. Obviously you have to get a plane. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, we already, we looked up islands that we want and uh, yeah. So, so how much do islands run? It depends. The one island that we are really looking at is... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it can happen, okay? Again. The island that we're looking at is like $2.5 million. That's oh, not wow. bad. So, no, it's not. And um, I forgot where it is. And I, I'm glad I did because I don't want people to be up on my island. Yeah, nobody take <laughs> Jovi's island. Okay, so, she has dibs on that island. Dibs. Um, but yeah, just do that. And um, I said to him, I go, we should also buy a franchise, like a Wawa. That way. Oh. I used to say that too. That way, you own it. You're gonna constantly have a flow of money mm-hmm. in, yeah. and you you would hire staff like management and stuff like that to make all the big decisions. You basically just supply the money, yeah, yeah, and you have money coming in. I used to say that too. That that would be another thing. I would do like Taco Bell's and McDonald's's, yeah, because like they're pretty much always gonna make money. That's yeah. the that family from the blind side. That's what he he owned Taco Bell's. Mm-hmm. That's oh. how they were so rich. My um. My fiance's daughter, her one of her friends actually her parent their parents own California pizza kitchens. Interesting. So yeah, and I just thought that was so cool. Like Mm -hmm. he goes traveling to them and stuff like that. It's just it's just a a neat thing. Like if you have the money to do it, do it, bro. Do you want to add to my list? I have been wanting to start an Etsy page forever. So like maybe that. (laughs) You could do that for free, you know. 
Yeah, but it costs money to get supplies and stuff to make. Well, like, and then you figure if you're a millionaire, you can yeah. actually only work part time, and then you have the time to actually. Yeah, like dedicate. I would have the time to like sit around and like literally make stuff. But lottery, lottery, and hopefully not meet somebody who's gonna steal all my money and kill me. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week on Bed Crime Stories. We appreciate all of you so, so, so much. You know, I have been checking the inbox on that email, and I have yet to get an email from any of you. And uh, I don't know, man. I'm starting to feel, I'm, I'm starting to feel a little unloved and neglected. That's all I'm saying. Um, so bedcrimestoriespod at gmail.com. Just shoot us an email. Say hi. If you have any suggestions for stories that you might want to hear, you might want us to do, um, mm-hmm. let us know. We are always open to suggestions. Um, find us on social media, Instagram and Twitter, which is bedcrimestories on both of those vehicles. And um, I think that's all that we usually say at the end of our... We have our intro down. We have our outro not down. No. Not down at all. It's fun, though. It is fun. So it's always fun to try and struggle to watch me try and make a list of things that we have to remember to tell you to do. As Nikki and I just stare at her like... (laughs) Yeah, like... Don't forget to say this. Well, you can say things too. All right. She's um, just so good at it. Charlie's just so good. I try. Try. I try. Um, so again, we appreciate you. Tell a friend. Rate, subscribe, and like. Yes. And I think that's it. And until next week. Sweet, sweet dreams. dreams. Our theme song is the song Industrial Music Box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0.